And welcome to the Let's Talk Podcasts. This is your host, Susie Lewis, speaking from Toulouse. And in this episode of Let's Talk, we will be discussing purpose-driven people and agile transformations. Today, I am delighted to welcome Alisa Hofmeister, a successful purpose-driven global business leader and author and passionate about sustainable and purposeful agile transformation. So founder of Twinkster and proud author of purpose-driven people, Alise, welcome to the show. Thank you, Susie, and uh, thank you for having me in the show. It's a pleasure. So, Elise, you have a wealth of experience in agile transformation, both operational and strategic, and you now advise boardroom leaders and transformation teams on the human dimension of transformation, which is where we met, (laughs) on the topic of uh, purposeful business agility and creating sustainable change. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed reading your book, and I wanted to start with that. It was a great read for me. Um, What inspired you to write your book, Purpose Driven People? Yeah, thank you, uh, Susie. And I remember our session uh, last year eh, at the start of COVID. Uh, Yeah, yeah, there it was. Well, what inspired me to write uh, my book? That is, throughout the years, I learned what agile and agility are truly all about. And that it's not only about a different way of working, eh, what we think Mm. that's really the doing agile, but it's far more a different way of thinking. And it's about people and interactions, the values, the principles, working towards a shared uh, goal, the purpose, and also building up trust with your fellow team members. Mm. And perhaps the most important things I learned was to think in terms of possibilities and alternative strategies. And that I am really personal, responsible for the things I do or decide not to do. Mm-hmm. And part of the transformation, what I, which I was leading to the company I worked at back then, it was within uh, ING, mm-hmm. I was able to follow a leadership program. And during that program, I had the opportunity to work on my personal purpose. Mm-hmm. And the moment that I discovered that, it became crystal clear to me what I am actually passionate about and where I want to create value. Mm -hmm. And what it has brought me is courage to make different choices uh, that can be daunting sometimes, but overcoming those (laughs) those, uh, things are very rewarding and a tremendous learning uh, opportunity. Mm -hmm. And... After closing another successful transformation, and I was charging myself uh, up at the beach, we were doing uh, a kind of retro with the team. That was the moment that I realized what a journey I had made so far. And leading various agile transitions uh, has benefited me greatly on a professional level, Mm -hmm. as well on a personal level. Mm. And it's the kind of experience I would like everyone to have. That was the moment uh, that the idea of my book was born. So I started to collect and structure all my notes and started to write. I mean, that's the hardest thing, isn't it, to start, apparently. But I love the idea of, you know, the retro, looking back at what you did and what you learned about yourself and the agile journey and the courage it took you to I'm understanding to step from where you were then to where you are now. Can you share a few parts of your personal purpose journey? Yeah, writing the book. Mm. Yeah. Well, my my personal purpose from writing the book is uh, what you already said. Eh? It's the hardest part to start, but <laughs> also I think more difficult is to continue. Mm. And writing is 
totally different than leading a transformation. So yeah. you need to, you need to learn what writing is mm. and what is of value for the people who you, who you are writing for. Mm. And when I was working on my book, I regularly stopped writing. One of the things is that it's uh, uh, difficult to do next to full-time uh, job. Clearly. And <laughs> on the other hand, yeah, that's that's the case. Uh. On the other other hand, I thought that everything that I was writing was common knowledge already. Mm. And I know now better, but I had sometimes during the the whole journey that I thought, okay, but everyone knows this now already. (laughs) Until, and that's also what I see in my profession uh, now at the moment, that I encounter organizations that really copy the model, structure, working methods, or or other companies Mm. uh, that already started in their uh, transitions to business agility And what those organizations do not realize is that they are a totally different organization than the organization that already started to introduce structures and new models Mm. and that they are unique. And in my uh, journey, also in my journey uh, leading transitions and going to uh, conferences, attending meetups, etc., I again and again got questions from people that I had four years before. Mm -hmm. So then I decided I was at the conference in New York from the Business Agility Institute. And there I decided, okay, I I continue writing my book. Mm. And that was the real moment that I was really eager to move on and to go on with the book. And I didn't stop again. But it was really a journey to really complete the structure and what is of real value for the readers. Where can Mm. you make the difference? I attended also some trainings, training programs for writing. I went to the university to learn about writing and different ways of writing. You have fictional Mm. parts and non-fictional and what is interesting for a management book. It was a journey with ups and downs. Yeah, and I I love that. One of the things I really liked, so I'm glad you carried on writing it. It's a brilliant book. What I really loved is the mix of fact and fiction. Yeah. Um, so you're constantly in between the left and the right brain and getting used to using both simultaneously. And, and this whole team that the fictional character Tess has around her. And I think it fits in very well with the mix of theory and practice and and how you reference sort of operational case studies. And then you have some playbook areas and also some sort of theory areas. What led you to mixing fact and fiction? Yeah, that's... Um... A funny part how that started. <laughs> I loved it. Because uh, yeah, during uh, one of my writing classes, I was challenged to write a short fictional story. Okay. And we had to include all kinds of things. Uh, we included uh, persons, uh, colors, now all kinds of challenges uh, mm. we got every day. And when I started with that, I enjoyed it so much that I started to write a fictional story in which I was able to include my own experience in leading the transformation. Mm. And I also included stories of other people I met and who I interviewed. Mm. And during this writing experience, the idea of Tess and the team emerged. And uh, the trainer, she said to me, maybe you need to make a combination. Mm-hmm. Because it's really nice. And for people who learn in a different way, it's good to hear stories yeah. and to make you a bit more creative and in telling the stories and in the imagination part. Mm-hmm. Because every person learn, learns in a different way. 
Yeah. The, uh, someone learns a bit uh, to make stories visual, the other by uh, telling stories, and other people learn by uh, theory. And mm. I thought uh, maybe I need to make the combination in my book, and that's what I uh, try to do, to combine the story of Tess and the transformation team together with uh, theory and then practical uh, experiences and the combination, the closure of every chapter with a case of uh, someone I met uh, from different companies. They brought in their cases uh, in my book. Yeah, I really like that, the meet the experts idea. How did you come up with, so you have fact and fiction, so Tess and her team, and then the anecdotal and operational things that you've done within your transformation career. But how did you come up with the meet the experts idea, which I think is excellent? Well, in our way of working, we do not know really how we can solve the problems eh, with uh, Mm. our minds of uh, today. And the things uh, we have always done, they do not work anymore everywhere in the new way of working. So we need all kinds of new practices and examples to experiment with. And it's not that I have the best idea. No, I have an experience. Mm -hmm. And we tried a lot of things. And that's what I wanted to share in my book. But I also wanted to include uh, different views. Views Mm -hmm. from people who also did a transformation in their team or department or in their organization. It can be big, it can be small. It doesn't matter because we learn from all experiments. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think is important to not only enrich my book, Mm. but really enrich the experience for the readers. Yeah, it's a great way of getting sort of diverse and multiple perspectives on the same thing. I really enjoyed that part. And also, I loved the people journey circle um, and the model around that. And we don't have time, unfortunately, to go into it in lots of detail. But I would love you to take us through the cycle and just say which is the most important part of the cycle for you, if there is one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. the People Journey Circle, uh, that is a methodology that helps you create a unique human-centered approach mm. to set up or restart the agile transformation in your organization or department. Yeah, It's really uh, meant to help you design a unique change experience, and it also closes the gap between doing and thinking. Yeah. Yeah, And I think that's the most important part of what I learned uh, is that before in transformations or more reorganizations, we had always a plan. Eh? We went from A to B yeah. <laughs> and we changed our, our structure and then we moved on. Hmm. But yeah, did something really change? That was hmm. always the question. And hmm. in the change to a more agile way of working, you work in an iterative approach. And you experiment, you learn, and you improve all the way. So it's not that we go from A to B, but it can be to C, D, E, F, and then we do not know anymore, and we need to improve all the way. So that was what I uh, experienced in all the transformations, that I thought, hmm, the old models, yes, they help, but... Not enough anymore. So what is really important or what was really important for me and in leading transformations, Mm. that were the elements that I wrote down in the people journey circle. Mm. And it's not a blueprint. It's not set in stone, uh, Mm. but there are elements that help you to take an iterative approach, small steps and tweaking and improving when necessary. And it's built out of my years of experiences with agile transformations. 
Mm-hmm. And underneath all the elements, there are seven elements. All underneath all the elements, there are 10 questions in which you are able to assess your organization or department. It helps you gain insight in where you are in the transformation and where you can start or restart or give your transformation a boost. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the elements uh, are in the heart. It starts with people and purpose. That's really the, the, the foundation, <laughs> the foundation of the organization. Eh? Yeah. To link the meaning of work with the, the passion of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there is an element of communication and awareness. It's about interactive communication and tear down the silos. Identifying constraints. It's about building a governance of trust. Role modeling. It's about leadership and distribution of leadership. Mm. Community building. It's use of the collective intelligence. Learning organization, letting go, experiment, learn and improve. And the ecosystem. And the ecosystem links to all the elements because the influence of the ecosystem is everywhere. Mm. And we need to be adaptive and responsive to Mm. the ecosystem. Mm. It's great. I mean, there's so much to focus on and and so many layers to it all. And I love the fact that there is role modeling in there as a subject, because I think in terms of uh, enacting behavioral change in organizations, you know, role modeling from the leadership is incredibly important. But I would like to hone in on the communities and the collective intelligence bit. And I love this quote from your book, where you say the power of communities lies in the use of platforms to literally use other people's brains to get a new take on your issues. I think that's so powerful, the mix of digital and human collective intelligence and the idea of the echo chamber. So I would love you to just take us through this this thought and and the echo chamber idea. Yeah, Yeah, the echo chamber, that is really... uh phenomenon that exists when you work for a long term of period with the same people over and over again so the echo chamber is really if you can imagine you walk into a room you have four walls and you sit there with 10 people and every time they are the same people because it's your team Mm. for example the leadership team and all of a sudden yeah, you get stuck in creating new ideas because you do not see the blind spots anymore. Mm. So everything you come up with, it echoes in the, uh, yeah, against the walls and it (laughs) doesn't come further. But also there are no new ideas coming into the room because they stay out. Yeah, they they are blocked by the walls and that's really the silo thinking. Mm. Mm. And everyone has that and meets that once in a while. Mm. So that's also what you that we need uh, and what I truly believe is that we we really need to have more brain more yeah. brain capacity. Yeah. And we do not have that on our own and also mm. not with the 10 people in that room. So we need the brains of other people to pick mm. ideas from each other. Yeah. So that's really the idea behind the echo chamber and the platforms and what we experience also now, eh? we can connect with, mm. well, how much people in a Zoom meeting, uh, yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. And that's the digital part, the platform. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we need still our uh, intelligence, our brain. So, But we, we are far more able to get access to brains from other people because we can connect with everyone around mm. the world. Mm, Of course. And I just love this visualization of the echo chamber, because I think you're describing something that everybody goes through, but you can't put a name on it. 
So it was, mm-hmm. it's really interesting now to think, yeah, okay, that's an echo chamber moment for me. I've had a couple of echo chamber moments since I read that. So I really <laughs> like that. And I think there is so much to say, but I would really like your advice on building organizations. When you talk about building organizations together and you advise that people deliberately get inclusive and talk to other departments and employers and, and leaders to unblock this silo mentality, what would be your advice to leaders looking to start building the organization together more organically? Yeah. Well, first of all, there needs to be a reason eh, that you want to change. Yeah. Uh, so I, I assume now that we have the reason that we want to change. Yes. And in that uh, transformation, what we are logically doing and what we always did before is that we have a kind of consultancy department that starts drawing the new organization. Mm-hmm. But it's the question if the people uh, who are drawing, if they also know what is necessary from a customer perspective mm-hmm. and from an employee perspective. Mm-hmm. And I once had a conversation and I had them more, but I really remember it because it was really an example of mm. how we always did it. We were talking together and one of the leaders said, yes, we have a problem with designing our support functions. Mm-hmm. Because we do not really know how to involve them into the whole transformation. We did that with part of the trans- with the organization. We already designed uh, the new model. They are working in it. And now we want to add the support functions. But yeah, we get stuck. Mm. And my first question was, did you ask them? Yeah. And he said, why should I do that? Because we are the experts who know how to uh, design the new organization. I said, yes, okay, that can be that you are the expert in designing an organization. Mm-hmm. But to really solve the problems, you can involve the people of the HR function, for example, or mm-hmm. from finance mm-hmm. and design it together because they know what the gap is and what which problem they have. Mm-hmm. And That is something that we are not used to do. If you do that and people are really eager to help, they love to help in design sessions and Mm. see how they can improve the organization and Mm. also where they can add value in Mm. an earlier stage in the organization and in the projects where the, the teams are working on in the organization. So I really would advise leaders or departments who are working on design Uh, Start talking with the people Mm. in your organization and involve them. Do not design behind closed doors. No, and it's a great way of finding hidden potential as well, isn't it? And we come back to your people journey circle of people's purpose, but also communication and awareness and, you know, getting people involved in diverse activities so that they can actually contribute to the end result. How many organizations do you see doing that today? Or would you say that this is one of their biggest challenges? I think there are more and more organizations that start doing that. But I also still hear, yeah, it's when we are designing the new organization and we see that we also need to cut in FTE, Mm. then it goes back into the closed rooms. Mm. Mm. And Mm. that's really the challenge. And that's also a bit of a pity because then the agile way of working and new ways of working are aligned to cost cutting and it gets a bad name. I think that's not the meaning of trying out a different way of working. Mm. It it shouldn't be aligned. No. And I think we go back into the basic rules and conditions that you discuss in the collective intelligence part 
Um, you know, you, I would love love it if you could just walk us through how it plays out in both smaller and larger organizations. You say that, you know, you use it as a mindset mm-hmm. uh, and you talk about the perception gap, which I think is very interesting, and it being averse to management hierarchy and silos and using diversity and exploration. So we've touched a little bit on diversity and exploration with going and getting people involved. Can you talk to us about the perception gap and, and how that plays out? Yeah, well, a lot of organizations, they uh, do all kinds of surveys. Mm-hmm. And leaders think that they do a lot with the outcome of the surveys. Yeah. And I think that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, that managers, leaders are really focused on, okay, what is the outcome of the survey and what kind of actions do we need to take? Mm-hmm. The thing is that the a lot of employees do not experience this action. Yes. And that is caused by that the leaders are working on it and the managers and not really the employees. So the collective intelligence make, if you, if you use the uh, collective intelligence, then you uh, close this gap. Mm. You ask the employees, yes, but not just for the show. Yeah. You're working Mm. together on Mm. the topics, Mm. on the problems you want to solve. Mm. So maybe it's a good idea to not work with surveys or at least not surveys uh, once a year because surveys are what the answers are from people on surveys is really the moment they are in now. Yes. So if you read the answers in two months later, for example, then an employee who gave that answer can already think different. Absolutely. So it's better to have just short surveys at the moment and bring up in sessions together with the employees what are the real problem, problems we want to work on and there make use of the collective. So mm. do not do that top down, but involve uh, mm. the employees immediately. And that's really a change in mindset. And also, uh, and that's also what, the, what the, the mindset gap is about, is do not do it for the show only. Then you do not have to do it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, go and get people involved and find out what, what they think and what they're feeling particularly. And like you yeah. say, you thought that everybody knew everything that you wanted to write about, which, of course, we don't. And human change takes a long time. So even though, you know, the points, the pain points don't change, as you say, the context does change. So checking in with your employees regularly around how they're experiencing what's going on. Yeah. And, and how they feel about what's coming next is what I'm taking away from that. And it brings me to collective intelligence. How important, therefore, is collective purpose? We've spoken about purpose and your individual purpose and you know, purpose-driven people. But what, how important is collective purpose and how could leaders go about creating collective purpose? Yeah, I think collective purpose is the most important of everything okay. because it connects what people are working on What is the meaning of that work and what value do they bring? Mm. The bigger the organization, the more people struggle with knowing what I'm working on, what value does it have? And do I uh, really uh, make an impact on the purpose of our organization? And for me and what I experience is the most powerful uh, moment was that we created the purpose of the organization mm-hmm. and next to that all the departments and all the teams created their purpose related to the overall purpose so it helps prioritizing the work it mm. helps to focus it helps to see what are we working on and what 
is not important anymore. Mm. And when you do that, then everyone knows that, okay, what I, what I do and what I'm working for really adds value to either the employees in the organization or the customers. Mm. And is that something for you that you would advise that teams and organizations should review regularly the collective purpose or is it a sort of one-off discussion? Yeah, no, it's not a one-off discussion. Mm -hmm. I think it would be good to make that also a discussion point during your retros. And no, you do not have to do that every month. (laughs) Uh, But once in a while, that would be good. Mm -hmm. And if you have a good purpose, an ambitious purpose, will stay the same. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. sometimes the purpose or the mission of a team can can change. Mm -hmm. But the purpose of an organization will not really change. If that changes, and if you uh, reach your purpose or achieve your purpose, well, then your work is done as an organization. Mm. So the purpose needs to be ambitious. But yes, it would be good. And I would really uh, recommend that to once in a while have a retro also on the purpose and involve your customers also in designing the purpose and checking what you think is important. Is that also what the customer think is important? (laughs) Yeah, it's also, isn't it, about checking assumptions and validating assumptions and and things like that particularly with the customer because it isn't just the employee experience in being agile it's also the customer experience clearly yeah Um, you also make the distinction between transactional and transformational leadership and I would really love it if you could take us through the those concepts and explain the difference yeah yeah transactional leadership that is really based on yeah what it says eh? transactions Mm -hmm. yeah It's an exchange model where employees are directed by rewards and punishment. It's a bit of the old way of leading, we Mm. sometimes say. It's really the managerial stuff. Yeah, the Uh, command and control stuff. Yes, command Mm. and control. And it's not that black and white. Mm. But yeah, it's more on the task-driven focus on existing instructions, rules, codes, arrangement procedures, etc. Transformational leadership is actively geared towards changing the future and generating new ideas. Mm. Transformational mm. leaders, they really build, build a relationship with employees yeah. and assume that people are intrinsically motivated yeah, mm. by, by higher ideals, by purpose, by vision, etc. Mm. That's also more related to role modeling. Yeah. And in the part where I describe the difference between transactional leadership and transformational leadership, it's the part of uh, the element of the role modeling. Role modeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in the new way of working, there is a lot of change around leadership. Mm. We mm. talk about leadership, but also about distribution of leadership. Mm. Because self-organizing team, they need to be able to lead. Yes, Absolutely. Lead themselves. So Mm. parts of the tasks of leadership are distributed to the teams. Mm. Mm. And that sounds simple, but it's not, is it? (laughs) No, it's it's totally not. It's totally not. Every time when I'm part of a transformation and uh, some organizations are really daring and they say, okay, we really want to go into the self-organizing part. It's more the teal way of working eh, from reinventing organizations uh, from La Loup. That's going the full uh, way. There are also organizations that say, no, that's a step too far, Mm. a bridge too far. And we we have uh, still leaders in, we need still leaders in our organization. But those leaders uh, focus more on the development of craftsmanship from the people. 
Mm. Mm. And that is a totally different role or position or how you will pronounce that than a manager's function. Yeah, completely. And I think it's always the big challenge of transitioning, isn't it? How do you transition from one style to another? And essentially, that's why I love the role modeling part so much, because it's so explicit on the need to have leaders walking the talk at every level of the organization. You know, when Tess's team discussed with the board and and that example, which I'll leave people to discover, I won't give everything away, but uh, and that example in the book around role modeling is really powerful, I think. What's your last call to action for leaders that would be looking to go about creating sustainable business agility? Because like you say, it's a big change, isn't it? It's a change in being, it's a change in doing, it's a change in almost everything. Yeah, and the most important thing is that the journey to agility is about people and about purpose. That's, for me, the start. Hmm. And the people in your organization, they are the heart, the heartbeat. Hmm. And without the people, uh, your organization or your network or your system does not exist. Mm. Understanding and acknowledging that is the first step towards a successful transformation. And I would say, don't worry too much about getting it right the first time. (laughs) Because it will be a continuous and iterative process. Yes, you can design a new structure, a new model, whatever. Mm. But you will see that after seven months, working in that model you are already starting to improve Mm. and maybe to change Mm. and i think the important thing is the success of a transformation depends on what you are willing to let go that's super okay i'm going to leave our listeners with that last very powerful statement so they need to think about what they need to let go okay well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts with us, Elise. Where, where can people get in touch with you and find out more about purpose-driven people and also about what you do? Yeah, well, I have uh, my website, www.twinkster.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's of my organization. And uh, for the book, I set up also uh, a website. It's www.purposedrivenpeople.nl. Mm -hmm. where you can find uh, more insights about the book and also where it is available. Uh, So on Amazon, it's available, but also in the Netherlands, because the book is not only written in English, but also in Dutch. Mm -hmm. So there are also some Dutch uh, sites where you can buy the book. And if you have questions, find me on uh, LinkedIn or Instagram. Also post post on uh, regularly. And my email address is uh, info at twinkster.com. So if there are questions, then please reach out. I'm happy to help or to have a chat uh, with you. Excellent. Thank you very much. I'll leave our listeners to go and find out more about Tess and her agile adventures. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, please head over to iTunes and give us your opinion and your review. So it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk.